Hello everyone, welcome to episode 5 of Voice in the Modern Wilderness. This is your host, Greg Walden. I was listening to an episode of Grace Point Daily hosted by my great friend, Pastor Jeremiah Johnson, who hosts two podcasts, Grace Point Daily and Modern Christian Dads, which I highly encourage my listeners to go check out. This episode of Grace Point Daily was discussing living counterculture, and it spoke about how we should be taking a bold stance for Jesus and not being ashamed of our faith. It also spoke that the main issue in our society is God. We talk about the hot-button issues like abortion, homosexuality, etc., but in the essence, it comes down to our society's views on God. This brings me to the topic of this episode of Voice in the Modern Wilderness, which is political correctness. Should Christians be politically correct? Does political correctness keep believers from being effective for God? In order to understand this, we need to know the definition of what political correctness is. www.gotquestions.org defines political correctness as follows. Political correctness, PC, is defined as a term that describes language, ideas, policies, and behaviors seen as seeking to minimize social and institutional offense in occupational, gender, racial, cultural, sexual orientation, religious belief, disability, and age-related contexts. You see PC all over the place in our society. It's in the government, the workplace, the schools, and has even infiltrated some of our churches. <clears throat> Franklin Graham wrote an article on February 20th, 2012 called Political Correctness Gone Amok, which he gives his views on the subject. Quote, One of the most sinister and menacing threats to our society today lurks under the lethal guise of two small initials, PC. I'm talking about political correctness, the maddening and prevailing public sentiment of offending no one except Christians. It has infected our schools, government, universities, and the marketplace, leaving no room for moral absolutes or the authoritative truth of Scripture. Instead, political correctness demands tolerance of everything as it panders to the godless values of pluralism, marginalizing, and even persecuting men and women of faith. He goes on further in the article to say, quote, Inclusiveness now means excluding anyone who speaks out firmly for truth. It is happening everywhere in the country. Wishing to offend no one, our nation's politicians, leaders, and decision makers now stand for absolutely nothing. The very foundation of our Judeo-Christian morality is severely threatened. The real offense of the gospel itself, the Bible says that Jesus and his sin-conquering work on the cross are a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 1 Peter 2 verse 8. Politically correct people hate the name of Jesus. They despise the gospel. They don't want to be reminded of their sin or their need for a savior. They can't handle the truth. To elaborate, 1 Peter 2 verses 7 through 8 states, To you who believe, then, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the message, and to this they were appointed. Political correctness is destroying our nation. And it destroys our witness if we as believers embrace this ideology. We cannot be effective witnesses for Christ 
and take a bold stand for Christ if we are too afraid to offend people. It is not the goal of the believer to go out of our way to offend anyone, but simply being a Christian is enough to offend the world, let alone proclaiming Jesus to them. Because simply stating you are a Christian is enough to get you persecuted. One famous example of this is Chick-fil-A. Fox News had an article yesterday that stated the FAA is investigating religious discrimination against Chick-fil-A. It states, quote, The Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, is investigating two airports, San Antonio International and Buffalo Niagara International, over religious discrimination complaints following the ex exclusion of Chick-fil-A from the premises. Fox News confirmed on Friday. The Department of Transportation has received complaints alleging discrimination by two airport operators against a private company due to the expression of the owner's religious beliefs, the agency said in a statement provided to Fox News. Unquote. It isn't that Chick-fil-A refused to serve a homosexual a chicken sandwich that caused this. I have heard no story of them refusing service to anyone. Just the owner's belief is cause enough for this persecution. The article further goes on to say, quote, According to the agency, federally funded airports cannot discriminate on the basis of religion. The FAA notes that federal requirements prohibit airport operators from excluding persons on the basis of religious creed from participating in airport activities that receive or benefit from FAA grant funding, it said, unquote. And further down, it also quotes, Chick-fil-A has faced nationwide black backlash over its decision to direct charitable contributions toward organizations opposing same-sex unions, prompting public officials and others to denounce the popular fast food chain, which has been accused of harboring anti-LGBT views, unquote. I love what Pastor Jeremiah stated in his podcast that we are going to be persecuted because of Jesus. Jesus said this himself. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 states, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John 15 verse 20 states, Remember the word that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If they kept my word, they will keep yours as well. If you want to avoid persecution for your faith, you either shut up and don't talk about it or water the message down as to not offend anyone. Political correctness. Shutting up means you disobey God's commandment to go out and preach the gospel to all the world. Mark 16 verse 15 states this. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Watering the message to avoid offending people means telling them all the Gucci-Gucci stuff they want to hear. Basically turning church into a motivational center where you come in, get a feel-good message, and go home just as lost as you were when you came in. This type of message avoids the just nature of God. No one wants to hear about God's just nature, even though that nature of God is just as important as the love nature of God. So politically correct preaching is not about talking about sin, not talking about hell, not talking about God's just nature, 
doesn't talk about morality because no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that their lifestyle is not acceptable to God, and anything that challenges their mindset about what being counted holy in God's eyes are. But holiness is required by God. Hebrews 12 verses 14 states, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You can't tell people that if you're politically correct. Politically correct preaching is not the gospel. It is a motivational speech. A true preacher of the gospel does not avoid any topic, especially crucial ones such as sin and morality, simply because some people don't like to hear it. And true men of God don't emphasize material success and positive emotions over the truth. In my opinion, the gospel has to be preached without political correctness. Again, we do not seek to go out of our way to offend anyone, but we realize that just simply proclaiming to be a Christian will be enough to be offensive. We also know that the gospel will be considered foolishness by those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 states, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. That means we have to preach it with love and conviction. <clears throat> the first and utmost of these is love. Without love, it is best for the person proclaiming to just shut up. Some Christians would serve the kingdom best by shutting up until they learn the concept of what it means to love. I guess I just went politically incorrect there, but again, truth. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 states, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. This means we have to love those we are preaching to. Not just love those that love us, but love those that hate and persecute us. The kind of love we have to have is the same kind of love Jesus had for those that were beating, whipping, mocking, and killing him on the cross of Calvary. Luke 23 verse 24 states, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his garments by casting lots. This was Jesus' first words after he was nailed on the cross, forgiving those who were doing this to him. That is how deep Christ's love is, and that is the love we have to have if we are going to reach the lost for Christ. Love also tells people the truth. It does not sugarcoat it. That is why we tell the lost about God's just nature. Jesus talks about this nature because the ultimate place of God's justice is hell. That is where sinners go when they die if they reject Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke more on hell than he did heaven. An article from www.thegospelcoalition.org titled The Uncomfortable Subject Jesus Addressed More Than Anyone Else States Reality of Hell. A friend once challenged me to show her where Jesus talks about hell in the Gospels. Even a cursory read-through shows Jesus talked about it plenty. In fact, Jesus talked about hell more than any other person in the Bible. In Luke 16, he describes a great chasm over which none may cross from there to us. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells of a time when people will be separated into two groups, one entering into his presence, the other banished to eternal fire. Jesus talks about hell more 
Then he talks about heaven and describes it more vividly. There is no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. Jesus doesn't only reference hell, he describes it in great detail. He says it is a place of eternal torment, Luke 16, verse 23, of unquenchable fire, Mark 9, verse 43, where the worm does not die, Mark 9, verse 48, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew 13, verse 42, and from which there is no return even to warn loved ones, Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, Matthew 25, verse 30, comparing it to Gehenna, Matthew 10, verse 28, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. We cannot talk about God's love without talking about God's just nature because God's love and just nature are equally important. Understanding God's just nature helps us really appreciate God's love nature because we can look at John 3.16 in a whole new light knowing what the just nature of God is. John 3 verses 16 through 18 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So when we read the phrase, shall not perish, in John 3.16, we realize that that means going to hell, i.e. eternal place of God's judgment. If the lost are not told the fact that they are sinners and are heading to that place of God's judgment, then how are they going to have the conviction, let alone the appreciation of God's love, to come to the decision to receive Christ as their Savior? Some lost people know they are going to hell and brag about it. Others do not know they are going there. Some think they are actually going to heaven. An article from www.desertnews.com on October 25, 2003 states, An overwhelming majority of Americans continue to believe there is life after death and that heaven and hell exist. According to a new study, what's more, most think they are heaven-bound. Nearly two-thirds of Americans in the National Survey said that they believe they are, will go to heaven. Only one-half of one percent say that they were hell-bound, according to the poll by the Oxnard, California-based Barna Research Group, an independent marketing research firm which has tracked trends, related beliefs, values, and behavior since 1984. We're optimists at heart, theologian Robert Johnson, professor of theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, said, commenting on the survey's results, if you really believe in hell, you wouldn't want to be there. By definition, hell is the denial of goodness. The survey released this week found that 76% of Americans believe in heaven, 71% believe in hell, 
same as a decade ago. The Bible truth is most people are not going to make heaven when they die. This goes against what most people in that poll realize. Jesus says this himself in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is black and white, clearly stated. You cannot misread this if you understand English. Many equals destruction going to hell. Few equals life going to heaven. Is this by God's design? No. God's desire is that no one perishes. Second Peter 3 verse 9 states, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we have an issue here with these two excerpts from Matthew and Second Peter. God's will is no one goes to hell, but God also acknowledges that most people will go there. This is, this is explained simply as this. Each person has a free will. God cannot force a person to accept or reject him. He knocks at the door, but it is the responsibility of the resident to open it. Revelation 3 verse 20 states, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Secondly, we have to preach with conviction and boldness. On Billy Graham's website, www.billygraham.org, James McDonald writes, Boldness is the biblical manner in which God wants the gospel given. We are not to develop our own methods based upon personality or passion. We are to open our mouths and unapologetically testify to the saving power of Jesus Christ. Is it possible that the commonly reported frustrations in personal evangelism and our epidemic failure to evangelize at all is rooted in our failure to embrace the biblical method of boldness? The Greek term translated bold or boldly or boldness means candor in the face of opposition. We should give a candid, clear, compassionate, compelling witness to the news of how sins can be forgiven in Jesus Christ and how we have experienced that reality personally. Boldness isn't being obnoxious. I'm going to shove this down your throat whether you want to hear it or not. Boldness can be very gentle, kind, and from a loving heart. It's not mean or pushy. It's just convinced. Boldness does not adjust the presentation to avoid a negative response. Paul said, but we have renounced the disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Boldness knows that salvation is of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Acts 13, verse 48. Boldness is the spirit-given conviction that we must speak about what we have seen and heard in Christ. In Acts 4, verse 1 through 3, the disciples were boldly proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, 
and the opposition didn't believe in much except being in charge, so they arrested them. In much of today's church, this would have signaled the need for some consultants. Guys, if you're going to win friends and influence people, you're going to have to tone it down a bit. Round off the edges. Make the gospel more appealing, more acceptable, less offensive to the modern mindset. But that is not how it happened in Acts. Instead, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Acts 4, verses 4. Though arrested for their witness, the apostles' boldness was being blessed. The problem today is that we want the fruit without the fallout. We want to see people converted, but don't want any feathers ruffled or anyone to get upset when they reject the gospel. Today we want to be the aroma of life to those who are being saved without being the aroma of death to those who are perishing. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15. Pursuit of that impossibility has led to a suppression of the biblical model for boldness in most places. Peter and John were imprisoned. Paul and Stephen were stoned. And Christ himself was crucified for the offense created in speaking the truth. Once we can preach with love and conviction, then we will reach the lost for Christ, unashamed, bold, and without quenching the Holy Spirit, and unafraid who may be offended by the whole truth of God's word. In conclusion, I believe political correctness needs to be kicked out of the arena of preaching and also in our nation. It is destructive and does not accomplish anything but destruction and cowardice. Political correctness has no place in a Christian's life or witness, and definitely not in the church. If you as a believer are suffering no persecution, you're either not preaching or afraid to preach the truth as God wants it preached, both of which, in my opinion, is spiritual cowardice. Thank you for listening to my podcast and wish all of you a blessed day. If you're listening to this podcast and need Jesus, he's only a prayer away. If you want to be saved today, you can pray and God will hear you. I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I am not right with you and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. The Bible says if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Romans 10 verse 9. I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In a short prayer, you can change your eternal address right now. Just pray that prayer. Believe it in your heart. And with faith, you'll be you'll be saved. All right, guys. I will catch you on the next episode of Voice in the Modern Wilderness. I wish you all God bless and have a blessed day. Bye-bye.